0: Hi there, everyone, and welcome to Maybe Next Year, Episode Nine. I'm your host Corey Foss, and I'm joined here tonight by Ethan Vober and Dave Skogan. Guys, thanks for joining me.
1: Hey, glad to be with you, man.
0: Um, just uh, some uh, notes and news here for us. Um, be sure to check us out each week on Apple Podcast or Anchor; those are kind of the two main ones. Also, then if we we go up uh, on Spotify pretty quick too after we're done. So whatever's easiest for you to listen to. Uh, Please go ahead and do that. And you can catch up on the first eight episodes at any of those places. And you can also now check us out on our website. We have an awesome new website that went up this last week. Um, The address is nextyearpodcast.com. One word, nextyearpodcast.com. There you can do a whole bunch of stuff. You can uh, check out some of our basic information. Um, You can meet all the folks that have been on the show, read a little bit about everybody, and you can email questions into us, which I think is a really cool thing that we have now. Um, we would absolutely love for folks out there that are listening to um, go onto the contact, click on the contact part of there and, and just fill out a question for us. And we'd be more than happy to answer or talk about any of your topics that you'd like to hear about on the next, uh, the next episode. So please go ahead and do that. Um, all of that is thanks to Minnesota Nice Marketing, um, an awesome new company that works with um, groups that are small businesses that are trying to create their own pages. Um, so Minnesota nice marketing was created to help small businesses create a collaborative web and mobile page that is both understandable, affordable, and helps you get found online. Go ahead and check them out. Either you can click on their link at the bottom of our page or next to your podcast page, or you can check them out at MN nice So please go ahead and do that. Um, and thanks again to them for for setting us up with the with that great site um, for tonight's episode. Got a couple different things we want to talk about. First and foremost, we'll get into the Josh Donaldson signing for the Twins, uh, which was big news uh, for the organization and all the fans that have been waiting patiently this offseason. Um, the second part, we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on with Major League Baseball and the sign stealing. I don't know what you want to call it, controversy, but um, a lot of stuff going on there. The, the, Couple crazy days last week with that. And then we'll kind of wrap up talking about uh, this last Sunday's AFC and NFC title games and maybe take a brief look at uh, some of our predictions for uh, the Super Bowl. So, and then end with our bold predictions. Um, First, here we'll talk about a good to you guys um, Josh Donaldson signing. Uh, The Twins made a a big, big splash in signing Donaldson to a four year uh, guaranteed 84. Uh, well, guaranteed ninety two million dollars. It's a four year eighty four million dollar contract with a option for the fifth year, a sixteen million if they they hold on to him for that option year, eight million for a buyout, which is a ninety two million dollar guarantee, which is for a, a twins um, organization that does not do that very often. It was a very surprising move. I know that we had talked on here. I had assumed that he was probably going to stay in Atlanta. Um, and and the other option really was the nationals out there. it, it sounded like, for a while, the twins were basically out of it, so it, it did it came as a big shock for that to a good shock for that to take place. Um, as to why that happened or not, uh, interviews with him, he talked a little bit about how Atlanta's offer was not in the same realm financially. What that means, I guess we don't you know we don't quite know. Um, I did read an interesting story, and I don't know if you saw this, Dave, uh, that Miguel Sano actually sent him a video message uh, telling him. That he'll move to he would have moved to first base for him so I thought that was kind of wow. that was kind of cool that he did that um, it ups the Twins payroll for this year to 136 million dollars uh, the previous record was 128 last year so they've definitely committed to some things here um, we've talked about Donaldson before a little bit some of the numbers and stuff on him as we discussed the possibility that the, over the last few podcasts. Um, he's 34. He's a three-time All-Star. He was the AL MVP in 2015. Uh, that year, he, he absolutely went off. He had 41 home runs, 123 RBIs for Toronto. Um, he then kind of went into a little bit of a struggle after that with some injuries. Had a hip injury in 16, a calf injury in 17 and 18. He had a shoulder and calf issues, and, and that was a rough year for him. He only played in 52 games, but last year, he went on a one-year contract to Atlanta, uh, kind of a show me contract, uh, uh, and, and had a great year. He hit 259 with 37 home runs and 94 RBIs, um, and was a Gold Glove finalist. So, a lot of big, and, you know, important things that the Twins are getting with Donaldson if he is, in fact, healthy. So, you know, he's a career 273 hitter, um, and and we'll talk about the lineup and how he affects it a little bit. But he becomes now the sixth uh, Twin that hit 30 home runs last year, at least 30 home runs last year, which is Pretty incredible to have a lineup of nine guys and, and six of them had hit over 30 home runs so um you know and the other news being that they signed to to a three-year 30 million dollar deal so dave what was your kind of initial reaction as that that news came over the wire
1: uh, initial reaction was shock you know it, like, like you'd mentioned it kind of seemed like the twins were going to be the outside looking in um then he kind of didn't hear anything for a while and then uh, shout out actually to my brother, Justin who shot me a message uh, that night that said he'd signed, and I was totally stunned. Uh, did some quick research, and, and yeah, it was legit. Um, you know, it was a dollar amount that we we kind of read that he was after. Um, it's As a Twins fan, it's just good to see them. They're going to give this thing a shot. They're not just going to sit in their hands and wait for the deadline. They're going to go after somebody who, if healthy, is going to be a massive, massive contributor to this lineup on both sides, both lineup and in the field. Um you know, it's, it's it's shocking how quickly it all of a sudden kind of came together out of nowhere. Now they got you know a good month here to get into spring training and get this thing rolling on, on a definite positive note. I think.
0: Ethan, what were you thinking when you heard that news? I know that we all kind of had <laughs> messages back and forth. I yeah. mean, my my phone absolutely took off as soon as that signing happened. I think there was a lot of really uh, excited slash shocked fans.
2: I think it's a, a good move for Minnesota. I think they're doubling down on their offense by signing him. Like you said, if he can stay healthy and contribute, there's nothing wrong with this. Um, it, I think right in the price range of uh, it's not it's nothing crazy. I mean, it's it's really good. And I think it's going to help him defensively. He's He was the best, probably third baseman on the market, maybe one of the best free agents left. And, you know, it was kind of a a later, thing you know, we talked about a lot of pitching that got passed up or guys that wouldn't take offers. So, I think it's you know, it wasn't the best thing for Minnesota, but at least they're showing that they're yeah, they're gonna try and do something here in this next season. I think that's good,
0: yeah. Dave, or you, I'd like that you mentioned there, Ethan, about the defense, the defense part of it. You know, and I'll ask you about that too, Dave. Um, he's obviously an elite defender at third base. Um, you know, last year being a finalist, he's he's uh, last year, um. He had uh, eight outs, eight, eight outs above average, which is uh, the second highest among any third baseman um, in the in the major league. And I think the the defensive part of it was really important to look. Is that now Sonoma moves over to first base? Sonoma last year was a negative mi- minus three. He had twenty two errors in ninety one games. You know, he's six four, two hundred listed at two hundred seventy two pounds. I think that's kind of a polite <laughs> two seventy two. But um, that wasn't going to be a long term solution for him to play there. And so it's it's nice. And, and he is willing, definitely willing. Um, I'm not surprised that he's willing to go over there. It's a little bit easier. But um, the ripple effect of that will then have, um, and looking at some of the other twins' numbers on in the infield, a little bit shocking uh, that Jorge Polanco was a negative 16, the worst among infielders in Major League they all infielders, not just shortstop. Um, he was tied with Vlad Jr. for the worst, worst uh, outs above average. Um, so you take Donaldson in there. And you figure third base with his range, he's going to be able to help out a little bit with Polanco. Um, And like I said, hopefully that has some kind of ripple effect. What do you see him – how do you see him impacting the defense, Dave?
1: Yeah, I think like you just said, you know, Polanco – we kind of talked about that I think on one of the first podcasts about Polanco and the defense and, you know, what they were maybe going to do. I think I mentioned maybe even moving Polanco to third because of that if if they were going to not spend money, um, you know, this avenue. But – it, it sure, there's sure things up on the right side of the infield. Uh, you know, it. it's, and, you know, something down the road here too. You know, he plays third base and those played third base. Uh, Cruz is not getting younger. You may see Donaldson play some DH. You may see Sano play some DH. I wouldn't be shocked because we got Marwan Gonzalez because we got uh, um, Adrianza. Those guys are so versatile. They can play anywhere. Um, I wouldn't be stunned at some point this year even see Donaldson slide over and play some first base, just to maybe give him a breather, uh, let somebody else play in the DH role. I think there's there's enough guys you can be able to move guys around, keep guys fresh. Um, you know, be able to put some, maybe Polanco plays over first and and uh, and, and one of those guys sliding in the shortstop too. Um, you just got a lot of depth uh, and a lot of depth that can play really all over the place right now. Uh, which is going to be a real positive thing, especially if we start hitting the injury bug like we did last year, uh, which hopefully isn't the case this year.
0: Yeah, I mean, you got to figure, though, with uh, lack of probably moves for the starting pitching that they, they might be trying to soften that blow a little bit um, if they are to give up more runs, it, hopefully helping the defense, helping the pitching um, in that aspect. I thought it was kind of interesting with the four- or five-year deal um, you mentioned, you know, Cruz is, what is he 41 now, you know, and he's, yep. he's nearing the end probably. And whether or not then it, you might think that, uh, Donaldson is on the path then to become kind of that DH after Cruz has, has gone, uh, has moved on and then moving the guy like Kirilov maybe to first base. Um, and, and that was something that kind of stood out a little bit as looking at, at, uh, the future, but. Because it is. We can now look at it. It's not a one-year signing. The Twins tend to, when they make more significant moves, it tends to be a one-year kind of deal. Um, but now, we've, we've talked plenty about the Twins really only going in the start of the season with three legitimate starters um, in Barrios, uh, Bailey, and Odorizzi. Um, does this now, with him entering the lineup, does that give the Twins a little bit more of a leeway to assess their starters before the trade deadline? Ethan?
2: I think so. Yeah. I mean, I just, I just don't know. There's two ways to kind of look at this signing is, is it a, is it, Well, obviously it's not a short term move with the long contract, but it, is it just the thing that they're going after now because, well, we missed our pitchings. Let's, let's get the best that's out there now. Or is it a future move, you know, to play in the long run, like you said, with the ability to move over. I think, I think the pitching is – it's it's going to be something that's going to have to get figured out, and with as much depth, there I, there's nothing to say that now there isn't going to be some trade moves working in before the deadline and uh, it's just kind of seeing where they're at. Now are we going to go all in an offense? Now are we are going to go trade for some good pitchers that we couldn't sign in the free agency? Um, that would be kind of the move that I expect, honestly, out of it. Um, but like I said, I'm new to the Minnesota game, so – the history isn't all there for me, but I could see them doing that. Well, if the pitching's not there, let's see how far this can run us right now and go to uh, the trade deadline.
0: Hey, what are you thinking this means for the the starting staff to start the season?
2: For the starting staff, you know, I don't see them
1: necessarily making any moves, you know, in the near future. I, I suppose they're probably going to see where it goes. Um, personally, I, I wouldn't mind seeing them going after a guy early like a Chris Archer before he gets himself established this year, you know, it's not going to take a lot of prospects to probably get a guy like that. You get him in the start of the season, you get him acclimated, you kind of get him uh, – you, you've seen some of these moves at the trade deadline where a guy switches teams, um, you know, look what they happened to uh, the guy they got from San Francisco. Shoot, they kid pulled him off a plane two hours later, they put him in the game, and he ends up blowing the game, and next thing you know, the season's over. Um, you know, to, to get a guy in, to get him comfortable, you know, well-established before you really need him to step up and do his thing. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing that, uh, but it's got to be the right move too. Um, you know, a guy, like I said, like Archer, you're probably not going to have to give up a whole lot. I think he's got uh, on the con- $9 million contract looks like this year, and I think a buyout for next year or an option for next year, excuse me. So you're not really on the hook if it doesn't pan out, as long as you don't give up too much of your prospects.
0: Um, are they going to be more apt do you think they're going to be more apt to maybe move prospects now that he's going to be there for four or five years and
1: and that's just it too you look around at that infield you got to know who's not going in here a doesn't look like he's going anywhere uh polanco and donaldson i mean you're you're set now for three four years across that infield um a guy like nick gordon now it's going to make it look very tough for him to come up and, and establish himself at the major league level he becomes expendable um, you hear Royce Lewis. He's still one of the top 10, 15 prospects in all of baseball. Um, but again, you know, four, five, six years down the road, it's looking like he might be able to crack something, unless they trade a Plank or something like that to um, the next year or two, which is always a possibility. But um, they got a lot of organizational depth. Um, they got a lot of organizational depth in the outfield, um, and then you know, with a couple of those infielders too. So the The way the lineup is sitting, you don't really see many of those guys getting a shot to crack this thing in the next two, three years.
0: No, you definitely don't. Do you okay, so we've we've talked at length, obviously, about the the failure to acquire any big name pitching at least in free agency now. Um, is this offseason now a win for you in the in the twins books?
1: Yeah, you know I think when you looked at the top tier pitchers um, who, the top, top tier, you really knew you weren't going to have a shot at You looked at that second tier, you hoped the gardener, one of those guys was going to fall and it didn't happen. You know, to me, this was probably the best case scenario as far as anybody else out there. it fit been a need. Um, you know, the bat to me is actually the, the added bonus. The fielding is, is really the, the the main thing that's just going to help this team um, for sure. Um, you know, I I don't know if I'd call it a flat-out win-win, but it, it, it's hard to not look at it and smile. I guess I'd be happy about it. You know, they, they added Rich Hill, he's a solid guy, you added Bailey. You know, if they can get another solid pitcher here at some point, you go into the playoffs, you're on a three man rotation, maybe a four man rotation. This, this new three batter rule out of the bullpen is something that, you know, we haven't talked about, I no. guess. But it's it's gonna be a big issue, uh, especially for your token left handed pitchers. Three batters that gotta face them. You know, it's it's gonna really screw things up in the bullpen. Um you know they're trying to make games faster. I don't see how it's going to make games faster because you get a lefty against this Twins lineup who doesn't belong against a couple of these guys, and you're going to extend this inning big time. Um, so I, I don't know if it's a. That's uh, yeah. you know, a whole other conversation, I guess. But they're going to hurt lefties but, uh, big time. You know, it, it, maybe they take a guy like Rich Hill come playoff time and turn him into a, a middle reliever or a late inning reliever just because they need a guy to come in and knock down three lefties or you know two lefties and a righty. Um, and, and they don't want to make the move. So
2: I definitely don't call it a solid win. It's what I would like to call a soft win, <laughs> something that it's not what you wanted going in. Um, the expectations were kind of high. Um, just getting to listen to you two extensively talk about it, um, but it's definitely a soft win. It's it's the best out of the out of, out of that situation. It wasn't a bad situation, and they shirt up a lot of things. They're they're going to be able to make a couple moves, and like I said, it opens up the trade deadline. Now, if they need to go get, um, some pitching Donaldson was quoted, I think it was the New York times paper that quoted him the home runs and the wins is what made it appealing. And I've talked about it. We've touched on it a little bit is that's what Minnesota sports is going to have to do is win and and succeed. And then that's when we start drawing in all these players that that want to be here because Minnesota itself is cold and nearly Canada and it's not super appealing. Um, So I think Donaldson's just the start of what could be a lot of good things to show up in Minnesota.
0: Yeah, I I agree. You know, definitely about uh, anywhere really in the Midwest, upper Midwest, being kind of a difficult spot for really big name free agents to really want to. And it's the same thing in basketball, uh, especially the NBA. Um, And so hopefully the things that happened last year with the wins and the home runs does correlate or translate into a few more – moves down the way at least uh, bigger names being willing to come this direction so um just a couple things I I guess we didn't really mention about uh Donaldson at at least is that um he's a top 20 walk guy um which is is pretty incredible and I know what I'm going to ask you about what your lineup is your ideal lineup is Dave um we'll talk about OPS a little bit um and his OPS was, is, is 900 last year, which is phenomenal. The league average is 758. And of the twins starting nine right now, there's the lowest one is 800, you know, so all nine are above the league average in OPS. He does strike out a bit. He had 155 Ks and, and 549 at bats, but um, with an OPS that high, you know that when he's not striking out, he's putting the ball in play or he's getting on base by walk. So, all right, this is kind of, this is kind of a fun thing to do to look at the lineup. I know every, everywhere that I've looked online, everybody has had a different nine in a different order. I've not seen one consistent. You know, as people are trying to plan out how they think that it, they're going to, the Twins are going to put together their, how Baldelli's going to put together the lineup, which is a good thing. I mean, it's kind of cool to have that. But, um, Dave, why don't you go ahead and why don't you give me your your nine next year, your starting nine in the order that you see them or you'd like to see them in? all
1: right. You know, I it's, it's kind of a head scratcher because – there's so many options, you know, it's hard to kind of go wrong. Um, me personally, I'm still a tried and shoot leadoff hitter guy. So I see a guy like uh, Arias hitting leadoff just because of the way he takes pitches. Uh, he works the count. He, he just finds his way on base. Um, and, and if he can do anything like he did, you know, the back in the last season, that's a great spot for me to start. Uh, Polanco in the two hole nicely. Uh, Cruz hitting third, Donaldson hitting fourth. Um, I stuck Rosario in the, in the, Uh, five spot here uh, basically to break up the, you know, the triple righties in a row uh, with Sunil coming in there. Um, And I put him ahead of Kepler just because uh, a little more of a protection. He's a, he's a wild swinger. I don't really like that about Rosario, Uh, but the guy does damage. He is an RBI machine uh, when he is, and he's a streaky hitter. Um, So if he's on fire, he's going to protect the heck out of Donaldson who's protecting the heck out of Cruz and then he's also going to get better pitches if you stick Miguel Sano behind him, too. Uh, it's crazy to even think you're talking Miguel Sano hitting seventh, mm-hmm. or excuse hitting sixth. Um, I got Kepler hitting seventh. I got Garver hitting eighth, mainly because the games he's not going to catch, you stick in, uh, I'm drawing a blank on the other guy's name, but you stick him in the eighth slot. You basically keep your life the same night in, night out. Uh, then you got Buxton hitting ninth, which is basically your second leadoff. Ideally, I'd like to hit him in the leadoff spot, but you know it just seems to work out better right now the way he's been. Uh get him a few better pitches to hit, get him comfortable, start the season and and go from there, I guess.
0: That's funny. That was that was the one the only consensus of all the ones I looked at. They had Buxton hitting nine. So but you're right. It would be to get him healthy, he's gotta be in the future a lead up type hitter. He just has to with his speed and his power too. I mean you know we were talking about how six of them have hit 30 home runs, at least 30 home runs last year. Buxton probably could have pushed that number had he stayed healthy all year, um, you know. So there's a possibility there, but that's the biggest if is is Buxton going to stay healthy? We've asked that question as his whole Twins career now. So I had I had Kepler still leading off. I thought he did a, a really good job there last year. I had him leading off against righties, and then Garver leading off against lefties. It was a, a spot that he was good at last year, uh, felt comfortable in as well. Uh, Planko had short hitting second. Donaldson hitting third, Cruz fourth, Sano fifth, and then Kepler-Garver, which everyone wasn't leading off in the sixth spot, Arise seven, Rosario eight, and Buxton nine. And then obviously the kind of the first alternate in uh, would be Marwin Gonzalez, you'd think, on on days, um, you know, where you needed somebody uh, from a different side of the plate being a switch hitter. So um, I don't know if you...
2: I I sat down today. This is the last thing I did in all my notes and everything, and... uh, coaching the chaos and I coached the storm five years before that. I think it's fun to put together lineups. It's it's way easier when you've played with them and you know, the guys it's kind of hard when you sit down and you really haven't watched them. I'm just getting into the twin stuff. Like I said, um, I started swearing at you about two minutes in, I was like, <laughs> I don't, I don't know what he expects out of me. Um, but really I, what I had a couple things down, I had Kepler at two Cruz at three, Donaldson at four. And then I was just trying to mash some numbers and, and decide, and I was just like, "Well, I'm not going to be able to really finish." A lot this. of really
0: similar OPSs, you know. I, it, like I said, everybody is above the league average, and, and by a ways too, um, you know, on base plus slugging. So uh, you really can't. Like I said, it's fun to make those lineups because you really can't at this point go wrong. Um, it'll be interesting because Valdelli, is one of you know he's he's a you know a millennial manager where he he doesn't do things necessarily. You, know, you talk about a prototypical leadoff hitter, prototypical three, four hitter, that kind of stuff. Um, he doesn't necessarily always uh, fall into those uh, those patterns and things like that. So it is interesting to see his thinking on, on given nights and given situations. So, um, yeah, I guess that's uh, kind of uh, all I had on, on um, that. And Donaldson, it's nice to be finally talking about him in, in a certain way. Uh, you know, knowing what the what the outcome is going to be because we speculated for so long, and and to know he's going to be there for four or five years is is great, and, and to be able to look at some of those situations is fun. So, um, anything to add to anything about Donaldson or the lineup, Dave?
1: I got uh, two more quick things here. Um, Donaldson's played twenty two games in Target Field, three seventy three average, ten home runs, twenty one RBIs, with a one point two eight three OPS.
0: Didn't I mean, he have' he's absolutely
1: mashed in target field.
0: Doesn't um, he have the highest average of an opponent against the Twins of anybody in Major I, League? Yes,
1: I believe you're correct, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's nuts. So hopefully that continues. Um, the other thing about Donaldson, about five years ago, I remember sitting watching MLB Network one day, and they had, had him on, and it's an awesome video. It's actually, I found it on YouTube last night when I was thinking about it, where he breaks down his entire swing. Uh, it's one of the most scientific baseball analysis I've ever heard a baseball guy do himself. Um, it's out there. It's fantastic stuff for kids to watch, for coaches to watch. It's, it's, it's amazing stuff. Uh, but it also shows the edge he's got, um, because when he's talking about handling an up and in pitch and how most guys are trained to hit the ball down, he talks about trying to get his hands through and drive it because he gets paid to hit home runs. <laughs> and the, uh, the guy who he's talking with says, you're thinking doing damage. He goes, to do damage all the time.
0: Make it rain. Damage
1: all the time. So that, that mentality is going to wear off on a guy like Sano. Now you got two guys, Cruz and Donaldson, working with a guy like Sano. Uh, that guy's going to have a monster year. I think Sano's going to have an absolute monster year.
0: If they, don't dumb down, if they don't dumb the baseball back down, do they, do they break 307 again?
1: I, I, don't, I don't know how they don't. I mean, you're, you're thinking Garber's going to get a bunch more at best this year, too, um, because I don't see the, the timeshare they had last year with him. You know, Buxton stays healthy. I I don't see how they
0: don't. Okay, so I guess the last question is, and I wanted to ask this: um, as their lineup is now, let's assume that Rich Hill comes back healthy, and let's um, you know assume that Pineda comes back healthy uh, when he does come back, and and not weighing four hundred pounds. Can they win in October with this as they are right now? Can the Twins win in October?
1: Yeah, I think they can. I mean, with this lineup, you're gonna you're gonna have a shot in any game there is, no matter who you're facing. Um, you know, with the experience now, you had another guy with playoff playoff experience. You get into a stadium like Yankee Stadium; they've been through it now before a couple different times. Um, you're gonna be in any game, even against a Garrett Cole guy who throws that hard. These guys hit the ball that far. Uh, The ball is going to travel in both those stadiums. They're going to be in it. I'm not going to say they're not going to give up 100 runs themselves, but at least
0: they're going to be in it. You think they can compete right now?
2: I think they're a legit contender right now. Um, Obviously, I think there's still moves that need to happen. Um, But, yeah, any given night, um, any given series, I think the Twins can make it happen. Um, Yeah, I think they're very legit
0: all right well let's hope so and hopefully maybe there is one still move or two out there when it comes to starting pitching i guess we'll find out uh, between now and what the end of february is when we fire up i think pitchers and catchers when do they report dave do you know
1: i think we have valentine's day around then
0: okay all right we'll take a little break we'll come on back with uh some discussion about the sign stealing issues (laughs) Welcome back to episode nine and maybe next year in our second segment here. We're going to talk a little bit about um, what's been going on in major league baseball the last couple of weeks with the sign stealing uh, issues and penalties that have been handed down. Um, It has been an absolutely kind of bonkers, surreal situation uh, as more and more details of this had had come out. But uh, last Thursday, baseball collectively lost its mind and fans online and, and just all the things that took place in a 24 hour period about information and firings and things that were handed out. Uh, it was crazy to try and sort everything out that had happened, but we do know is that, um, the Astros GM, uh, Jeff Lunau, uh, coach AJ Hinch were both suspended for a year by major league baseball. And then subsequently fired within an hour, um, from their jobs, Alex Cora. Then the next day, the Boston Red Sox manager was fired. He was, uh, supposedly the mastermind behind the science dealing that took place in 2017 with the Astros. And and then Carlos Beltran, first-year manager, was fired before he's ever coached a game. Um, he was a part of that 2017 team as well and apparently was a big part of it. No other players were penalized for anything. Um, and we'll I'll ask you about your thoughts on that or whatever. Houston itself, the, the organization was fined $5 million, which is a, a drop in a bucket doesn't really – affect them. They do lose four picks over the next two years, but there are so many that are made in major league baseball that that also probably isn't going to have a huge, long-term effect on them. But, um, okay. So the facts, what we do know what major league baseball has come out and said factually happened, um, is that in 2017 and 2018, the Astros were relaying information, um, not just to their runners on second base, but also, um, decoding catcher's signs through a camera in center field, a replay room, and relaying those signs into the dugout. And then the players in the dugout would bang on a trash can. You can't make that up. No. They would bang <laughs> They would bang on a trash can uh, to either signal off speed, or I think if they didn't bang on it, it was fastball. And there is, and the internet kind of cracked that one, actually. Um, people found uh, some footage and stuff of that. Um, so there wasn't going to be any really denying of that. Um, and so that, the, the penalties were then handed down to them. Um, other issues that have kind of come out now, the Red Sox were relaying uh, signs to hitters um, as well and to runners on the base pass to then give to hitters. Um, they have not faced those same kind of penalties. Uh, the, I guess it wasn't quite as widespread. Um, and this all kind of came about because a former pitcher, uh, who was it, Mike Fiers? Mike Fiers? Yep. Um played the, the role of whistleblower, I guess. And, and you always kind of get in these situations, people that are mad that he talked and other people are like, well, you know, it was important that he did talk. Um, but he shared that. And, and really this is, this has become the most significant kind of team wide cheating effort since 1919 since the Black Sox. I can't really think of any other team wide kind of issue like this. You know, obviously we had the steroids era and stuff, but that was more of an individual thing. So, um, we'll get it a little bit more into kind of the buzzer situation too, after I give it, open it up to you guys about this, but uh, you know, as this was all craziness was playing out on on Twitter and everywhere else that it was, um, what were some of your first kind of reactions to it?
2: I, you know, I was shocked. Um, You don't really expect it. And I I read a lot of stuff on Twitter and everything and, and, it's just a terrible look. And I'm sure this is a question you're going to ask later, but it's a terrible look for baseball in general. It loses its credibility as a sport. You know, at this point, you're kind of thinking, is anything real anymore? Is it fun? You know, it takes away the trueness of the game. And that's what drives a lot of people to love the sport is that that's what it is. Um, it's, I mean, I get people want to win, it's just a crazy thing. Um, I, I just shocked was my initial reaction
0: about you, Dave?
1: Yeah, I think shocked and I guess kind of confused too because to me it's it's fascinating that they were actually able to to crack the catcher's code every single game and then be able to do it with enough confidence that the hitters would be willing to take that information and use it at the plate because, let's be real here, you face a 95-mile-an-hour fastball when you're expecting curveball and you're screwed. I mean, you, you without a doubt, you have to have 100% faith that if somebody's telling me there's a curveball coming, there better damn well be a
0: curveball coming. You're, you're totally toast. Well, one so of the really, just I'm sorry to interrupt you, but one of the things no, now fine. that you said that um, when I was reading the article and they were talking to players on the you know anonymity so that they would speak openly about things or whatever, but one of them said that it was it actually um, was confirmation for them that this was going on is that they went back and looked at some swings and there were some really ugly swings that almost appeared as if you were just what you were just saying, that they were expecting, yeah. you know, swings that major league hitters don't usually look that ridiculous on. So, yeah, I thought that was the interesting that you added that.
1: Yeah, and, you know, then the other thing is, you know, I guess my question would be how, how frequently did they do this? You know, I know that I saw some of the videos too where, you know, the internet kind of cracked it with the bang bang and the trash can. I can't seem to think that they did this the entire game. So I mean, did they pick and choose their spots where maybe they got into a spot where they're down a run and, and nobody's on, and they're they're trying to let you know get a guy to crack a, crack a bomb or something. I can't see that they did this, you know, night in, night out, every single pitch, you know, of every single like that. So there's a lot of a lot of answers, but they almost create more questions for me of how the heck they did this, how how do they keep guys silent for this long, how the heck did nobody even you know come out and say this so this didn't get leaked out. You know, I saw at one point in 17, they were, they were actually paranoid enough that they thought was a Danny Farquhar was onto it during the middle of a game that they removed the television from back there and hid it in an office instead of a portable (laughs) laptop so they could get rid of it quicker. If the MLB was going to come investigate after the game. So they clearly knew what they were doing was wrong to go with that route. Um, But the whole thing is to me, it's, it's
2: fascinating.
0: Well, some (laughs) of the, it is fascinating. Some of the, the players that had come out and spoken about it a little bit. Um, some of them said that there, it was kind of a, a, a open secret among major lit that, that other teams thought the Astros were doing things like this. Um, and it was during the world series uh, when they Boston in 2018, that apparently the Astros thought the Red Sox were stealing signs and reported it. And <laughs> people thought that was a little ironic that they were doing that, but Um, I guess the next question that I would ask them before I kind of talk about the Jose Altuve thing that's going on with him as well. But um, So it was the three managers and the GM that paid the price for it. Um, AJ Hinch said that he came out and said he didn't know anything that was going on. The GM obviously said he didn't know anything that was going on, but then at the same time took responsibility. Um, Do you think that's a fair penalty for those two? And then do you also think that there should have been some more players that uh, should have paid? I, I guess the question about, that's hard with reprimanding or or penalizing players is that a lot of the people that were part of that are gone and they're in different teams and things like that, you know, so then are you penalizing other teams at the same time? But, um, you know, do you think that what's, what's happened so far for punishment has been fair?
1: Yeah. You know, the the one year from the MLB maybe was even a hair light, but I think the fact that the Astros and organization came right out and said, you know what, you're done. Um, of kind of set the record straight. Uh, I'd have a hard time believing this guy's going to find himself a, a coaching job in the next couple of years, especially in a managerial spot. The um, same with the GM, he's he's toast. I think I wouldn't see him catching a job. So the them stepping forward and taking care of things in their own organization, I think probably uh, took care of things the proper way.
0: Okay, um, I mean, do you think they're it's fair? To what if they really didn't? If they really didn't know what was going on, was it fair to the GM and the coach?
2: I mean, if they really didn't, no. I mean, if they didn't have anything to do with it, I I find that hard to believe in these times and ages that you were 100% clueless. I don't think anybody was really innocent. And I think, you know, like Dave said, the one year is pretty light. Um, I think it's going to take care of itself. Like they said, they lost their job. No organization, you know, very few are probably going to take a risk on someone like that to damage their name. So really, yeah, they got a one-year suspension, fired, um, but you know, the long-term, long-term damage is done. Do you feel bad for them if they didn't know? Yeah, I guess so. Um, but I, I highly—it's hard for me to believe that nobody knew anything about this higher up.
0: Yeah, I gave you guys the quote earlier, whatever that one of those players that was on an, and I thought this was really kind of fitting—the fact that no players were actually penalized for it. He said it was basically like giving immunity to a burglar so that that burglar will can tell you, will tell you how he broke into your house and stole your TV, um, which I, I think is a good correlation. Um, and, and that's what they got out of cooperation, out of, out of giving them basically immunity for it. So it turns out just, it's kind of like it would, when something happens in college when, it, you know, whether it be cheating or whatever down the road, you know, those players are gone then and it's the college themselves and the fans that end up paying for it. You know, it's not the player themselves. I guess you could talk about Reggie Bush as, as an example of that too. You know, where it is, the, it, it's, the, it's the college, it's the team, it's the organization that pays the price. Um, so that brings us into the other big story that day. Um, and this is why things were just so weird and wild, is that there was a story that came out that, that apparently the person that was tweeting was Carlos Beltran's niece, which I think that they've proven was not, is not true. Um, but she was tweet- she tweeted about how Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman were, have been wearing buzzers, uh, above their right shoulders that are run by the video coordinator at minute Maid park. And then the, the coordinator would through their video camera or through their video in center field, um, decipher the catcher signs and then buzz that, that thing on their shoulder, whether it be an off speed or fastball, however, they did that, um, and, you know, and then all, all of a sudden there was all kinds of crazy speculation. You know, I know they made the big deal or whatever about when Altuve uh, hit the walkoff home run against Chapman last year in game six, where he was coming around and he was holding his shirt really tight. He didn't want it to be ripped off. And so people were looking at that and saying, well, that's why he didn't want it to be ripped off because he was wearing a buzzer. Um, and, and uh, you know, what it, it is what it is. It, it, you can speculate that Major League Baseball said flat out they did not discover anything um, like that when they were doing their research, whether that means that it didn't happen or not um, isn't necessarily uh, 100% certain. But if you look at Altuve's numbers, it's kind of crazy that he, this last year, he hit 472 at home and hit 143 on the road. And I understand that there's players that struggle at home and on the road that's that just part of the game or whatever. But when you're looking for things like that, um, that that's Kind of an interesting stat line. So I, you know, Dave, I don't know what your thoughts were. Kind of as all that uh, was going on in the Twitterverse and things like that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's
1: a lot of crazy stuff. Um, you know, and to me, if if they purposely went, I mean, it's it's one thing if you got a teammate banging on a garbage can and dugout in your Senate home plate. Uh, there, there's not even if you're in on it, you know, you can always say, "Well, there's nothing I can do to control them, And tell me what's going on. But if you went as far as to actually take an electronic device and tape it to your chest, uh, to me, that kind of that, that really escalates, and basically would be an unprecedented thing. I really think for any sport, as far as as uh, the level of, of attempting to cheat, um, the 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 home road splits you just mentioned are pretty staggering. Um, And to be quite honest, I think all eyes are going to be on Bregman and and Altuve and and all the guys who have played for the Astros last couple years. But those two guys in particular, especially Bregman with with kind of the attitude that he carries with himself, too, the the overconfidence, uh, arrogance that he's got. There's going to be a lot of people looking at those guys very, very closely this year to see how they they perform, knowing that this isn't going to be happening anymore, or really shouldn't be. Um, So a lot of pressure on those guys. And, you know, even Buster only I think, came out today. Um, and, and kind of talked about how those guys are going to get thrown at, and they're yeah, going to get thrown yep. at a lot. Yeah. Um So these things have a way of starting themselves out. Um, you know, uh, the unwritten baseball rules. I guess they're probably going to strike again with those two, uh, and, and maybe for for uh, rightful cause. I don't know.
0: It's it, that is interesting because it, you know I was reading an article too about how the Astros went from kind of the darlings of baseball and um, in 2017 and everything that happened to really just probably loathed more than the Yankees are (laughs) by the general population, you know, so it has happened very quickly. Um, Alex Wood was the Dodgers pitcher was kind of an interesting one to watch his reactions as things played out that day. Um, He had talked about basically that he, that him and other Dodgers and, and throughout major league baseball had heard rumblings about the Astros possibly stealing signs. And when he faced them in 2017 in the world series, he actually changed his pitch sequences every eight pitches with his catcher because he was that paranoid about it. Um, and he had a good game. That year, though, the Astros were 8-1 and one at home. Um, but once again, I mean, that can happen. And, you know, sometimes teams, the the twins in their two World Series years, they didn't lose a game at home. They didn't win one on the road. That's just, that happens from time to time. But Alex Wood came out and said something, David, and I'll ask you, you know, um, being a pitcher, it, it was interesting um, whether you agree with it or not. But um, he said that he would rather face a hitter on steroids, than face a hitter who knew what pitches were coming. Um, I, 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 tend to agree with that a little bit as a pitcher myself. Um, I, I don't know what your thoughts were on, on that Dave.
1: hundred percent agree with you, you know, especially the way, you know how I pitched and I not have an overpowering fastball. I relied on, on my breaking ball and my changeup. And I relied on my changeup to actually make my fastball look faster than it really was most of the time. Um, You you take that away from me, I'm screwed. You know, I I relied on changing speeds, changing eye levels, but basically changing the speed and making my fastball look faster than it was and keeping guys guessing. If they they were able to sit on me and know either it was a uh, curveball or changeup, I'm toast. No matter where I put it, they're going to be able to sit back and hammer it somewhere. Uh, If they know it's a fastball, they know your timing just like that. These guys are are trained professionals. They're they're masters of hand-eye coordination. And to take that element of surprise out of it, I mean, it changes everything. Um, at least with the guy with steroids, if he hits it, he's going to hit it 470 feet off me. But, um, you know, there's a chance that I might be able to, to, to catch him leaning forward or, or catch him off guard with
0: the fastball too. Well, that's why I think I tend to agree with that statement is that steroids doesn't help you hit the baseball. No, You know, it, it, hitting is the hardest thing to do in all sports and, and steroids. It just means that when you do hit the baseball, you hit it a lot farther and a lot harder. Um, you know, so and I know, Ethan, you pitched a little bit too. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on, on Alex Wood and his uh, tweet?
2: Yeah, I I would agree. Um, a lot of the pitching is being able to change it. I mean, unless you're one of the few percentage of guys that's just that good, that's going to blow your pitches by or your your curveballs that insane or you just have that good of a knuckleball. You rely a lot on changing speeds, different pitches and stuff like that and keeping the game keeping the batter guessing during the game. Um, so, yeah, you might slip, and a guy on steroids might take it 500 foot, but, you know, that's one run opposed to a couple of guys knowing exactly what your pitch is, exactly, you know, when it's going to happen, and now they just you know rallied five hits an inning or something. Well, I'll, I'll take the one run. So I agree, and I, I think he's 100% right.
0: Yeah, I, I, there, I think there are probably very few pitchers that um, – don't rely in some way, shape or form on changing speeds or, you know, different arm angles and all kinds of different things. Um, which is why tipping pitches is such a big thing. It can, something that can bring a pitcher down single handedly by tipping pitches on their own, you know, the way that they're releasing the ball or, or things like that. Um, you know, so to, to know what's coming, uh, it, it is such an advantage that it's hard to even you know put into words just how much that uh, helps a hitter. But I guess the last thing I'll, I'll ask is, um, how bad is this for Major League Baseball? How bad does this make baseball look in Major League? And, and has the way that they've dealt with it um, softened the blow at all?
2: I think a little bit. Um, obviously, it, there's no right fix for what happened, um, but it's it's a very bad look for baseball in general. I have seen a couple tweets that compared it to WWE. Is mm-hmm. it real? You know, is are we just watching it to watch the game? You know, there's a lot of fan theories out there that all sports are rigged and it's all the big guys calling who's going to win. And it just makes it not fun to invest in, not fun to do anything with. So I think hopefully it's fixed and and we don't hear about it again. It's done. We can go back to loving baseball. But um, it's definitely probably has a lot of people kind of sitting back now, maybe not investing in much uh, of the game that they would.
0: What do you think, Dave?
1: Yeah, you know, I think I think if I had to make a decision, I'd probably say it's a, it's a tough look for baseball. But on the reverse side of the coin of it, we were sitting there at NFL championship weekend, conference championship weekend, and everything on the news was was sign stealing. Um, this is this is kind of the, the quiet time for baseball where nobody really talks about baseball free agency for the most part was, was over, you know, with the twins, we kind of got lucky. We had something to talk about here with Donaldson and all you could see on, on ESPN, obviously it little be network, but it was, was this sign selling thing and it was all over social media. It, it made baseball very, very relevant in, in kind of a quiet time. Um, and, and now we're coming into spring training, you know, getting back to that. Now, all of a sudden you have the, the new empire of evil in Houston, along with, with New York, um you might find a few more people turning in to see what the heck is going on or just wanting to watch Houston hopefully get their butt kicked um or or El Tuve and, and Bregman take one in the backside with a 95 mile an hour heater um pump their fists and say yeah we got you know they got them good for those guys you know? so I don't know it's it's it a is it a bad look yeah um but it also made a talker out of out of usually a, a, a dead dormant time for baseball
0: yeah it that's definitely true. Um, baseball survived worse. Um, you know, baseball's been around a lot longer than anybody, any of us, So, and, and they've gone through plenty of different uh, situations, so it's history. But it'll, it'll survive this. Um, but it, it definitely has been an interesting talking point. I th- I do, I'm very interested to see how it does uh, play out this next season, um, especially in Houston. All right, well, that's what we got for that segment. Um, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll come on back. Um, and talk a little bit about this past weekend's NFL games. Welcome back to episode nine of maybe next year. This next segment here, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what the games that went on this past Sunday. Um, and uh, here to give us uh, kind of the, the overview of uh, the 49ers-Packers game, um, probably the one that had the most invested in it. Definitely the one who had the most invested in it. Uh, Ethan?
2: Yeah, it was a sad time for cheeseheads all over the nation. Uh, San Francisco essentially just ran the table 37 to 20. Um, statistically, pretty close. I mean, even though Green Bay was really never in the game, um, obviously I had high hopes um, all throughout. But first down, Green Bay had 21. Niners had 19. Third down efficiency, with both were about 40%. Time of possession, Uh, Green Bay had 31 minutes, 13 seconds. Really, um, Green Bay had six penalties, the San Francisco's uh, two. The story of the game was uh, Mossert running back for San Francisco uh, franchise record, I believe, in yards and touchdowns, which was uh, 220 yards and four touchdowns. and really, Green Bay just had absolutely zero uh, answer for him. Uh, I, I, it, was, it was just a tough game. I, I, I think Green Bay could have sold out on the run a little bit more in the second half. And, and really, they did only giving up 10 points. But uh, he was just unbearable. Boza was very known that he was on the field. He made Rodgers kind of, uh, I think, what was it two, three sacks, I believe. Um, and he just made Rodgers look uncomfortable feel uncomfortable it it was just really ugly uh late in the first half green bay did have a shot um i know i was texting you cory uh that if they could have turned around scored um late in the first half right after they fumbled it niners went down scored um they got the ball back just under two minutes and rogers throws another pick which ended up being another touchdown to go up 27 points at half um
0: 14 point swing.
2: Yeah. Just, just like that. And then you, you know, you take away at least three points that the fumble could have got green Bay too. So um, Mossard, sorry, I'm just reading everything that I have down. Second most rushing yards in a playoff game. Um, It was only, I believe, yeah, it was 28 yards short of the record. First ever to rush for four touchdowns, 200 yards plus in the, uh, playoff game. The 49ers are the third team ever in history of the NFL to go to the Super Bowl after having a four win or less season, um, the year before 88 Bengals did it. And the 99 Rams did it and actually won that year or the next year. I think the one 99, mm-hmm. um, so they can be the second team ever to go from a four a subpar four win team to win the Super Bowl. Um, I feel personally, I don't want to get into depth of uh, analyzing this game, but all 100%, not 100%, but the majority of this loss falls on the offense. Roger, um, I know I talked to you, Corey, that it was a prove-it game for both quarterbacks. Garoppolo, um, I think he needed to get to the Super Bowl to kind of solidify what he's doing in San Francisco. And I think Rogers needed this game to solidify that he's not just a hail mary throwing regular season guy. He can go and get it done, and he didn't show it. You know, if your defense allows uh, thirty seven points and, and you lose, I guess you can take that. But when you fumble it and you don't dive on the ground after it like you want to win, you throw two picks, and they were you know one was pretty ugly. The other one was thrown a little bit behind. I, it just didn't seem like you wanted to be there. And, and as a fan, it's it's really just. Dis- it makes you feel bad. Um, Rogers on a good note did break Favre's franchise record with his 40th touchdown pass in the postseason. Oh, thank God! Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, um, and then some other stats. Rogers had 296 passing to Garoppolo's 69.
0: Yeah, nice. Nine he, attempts, I think. Six for eight. Garoppolo six, was six for eight. <laughs> yep, six for eight. And won a game by seven, an NFC title game by 17 points. That's pretty incredible.
2: At one point, he didn't throw. He threw one pass late in the second quarter. They had an actual time during the game. His next pass was mid fourth quarter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So yeah.
0: it was working, I <laughs> guess. Why, you know, why take the chance when you got a guy that's going to run for two hundred twenty yards? Um, yeah, it, I guess you know, Dave. I don't know if it was a little bit of as a Vikings fan uh, retribution or made you maybe not feel quite as bad about what happened the week before. Yeah, that's
1: exactly what it takes. I think wasn't that. It made me feel a bit better about the Vikings' performance. I mean, it was the same same thing, copy, paste, repeat. Just a, a physical beatdown. Um, I think I heard a stat that Moss, Mossard had 145 yards before contact, but I've never even heard of anything like that in my entire life. Um, it, it was, It was just, you know, they just physically dominated both sides of the ball. You know, you watch that Niners defense, you know, I think I've said it before, but they are so aggressive. I'm just waiting for somebody to take that aggressiveness and use it against them. You know, you watch Bosa, who's an absolute monster out there, but he gets himself so far up the field every single play going after that quarterback. I'm just waiting for somebody to, you know, there there was some there was some holes up the middle. I was actually not even, as much as I disliked the Packers, I was yelling on the TV, step up in the pocket, step up in the pocket, and he kept rolling back, back, back. And by that time, it was too late. He'd have two guys on him and sack and fumble. And it's just – as much as I dislike the Packers, it was actually hard to watch because it was the exact same thing the Vikings did the week before.
0: Yeah, I think – I know we're not going to necessarily chat about the Super Bowl quite yet, but um, you talk about stepping up in the pocket and taking advantage of that That feels like something that Patrick Mahomes would be able to do, might be able to Very do, you so. know, yep. the way that he runs. So I guess the other question that I'll ask before we get on to the Chief Titans is, um, has is Aaron Rodgers' window closing?
2: Yes, absolutely.
0: How fast is it going to close? He,
2: He's not going to be a Tom Brady. He's not going to be here. He, he It's just weird that you see dedication out of him. He's not a guy that really shies away from a lot of hits. You know, he'll, he'll run, and he's taking hits down the field. I mean, usually he's smart enough to slide. I think physically he has it, but I don't know if mentally he's going to be a guy that wants to play much longer. I think um, I'm really surprised that this year went as well as it did. I mean, having an easy schedule helped us out a new coach. I'm giving him four or five years and, and he's retired, which means I think his title shot really only has the next probably two or three years. If he's going to solidify himself with another super bowl.
0: It's funny. Cause we were talking uh, not on this podcast on, um, on Colton's, but uh, about halfway through the season about MVP candidates. And he was, one or two, yep. you know, before Jackson really took off, but he was having that good of a first half of the year that he was actually talked about. Um, you know, I know Dave, you're not a, a diehard Packer fan, or anything like that, but do you think his window is closed or closing? Yeah. You know,
1: through the draft, it'd be interesting to see what they do. You know, he's, he's still got Devontae Adams. You know, Aaron Jones has got to be one of the most underrated running backs in the league. As far as I'm concerned, the guy is an absolute weapon. Um, and, you know, they, they tried to get him out in the open field a little bit, but I don't think San Francisco missed an open tackle, the entire open field tackle, the entire game. Um, you know, they, they had somebody on them the entire game within a couple yards. He just couldn't get them going. You know, they, if they can shore up the offensive line, it seems like that's always a, a talking point with the Packers is, is more offensive line help? If they can find them another decent receiver, whether it's through free agency or the draft, um, the defense had moments this year. Uh, obviously, the run game was their big weakness, and it, and it hurt them in the end. But, you know, they got a couple-year window, I think. You know, the NFC North is still – you got the Vikings. You know, the Bears are down. They got quarterback issues. NFC North is, is still going to be up for grabs next year. Uh, Lambeau's never an easy place to play. And a guy like Aaron Rodgers is out there just waiting, thinking, this thing ain't over, this thing ain't over, this thing ain't over. Well, and, you know, then it was but you still got a quarterback who you have a ton of faith in every time he steps out on the field that no matter who he's got around him, he's going to make, you know, he's got the weapons to, 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 to get a win. So.
0: All right, Dave, you know. want to give us, you want to give us your chiefs Titan summary?
1: Yeah, I sure can. Um, I don't know if you guys watched the game, entertaining game to watch, you know, the big talk going in with how the heck Kansas city was going to stop Derrick Henry. Kenry, um, you know, Kansas City did come out with the win. Uh, Opening drive, you know, Kansas City comes down the field, um, missed opportunity, really. They they got down, got themselves to a, uh, uh, where are we at here? Incomplete pass on second, third down, ended up having to kick a field goal. Um, Chiefs get the ball, immediately go three and out. Titans get the ball, take it right down the field, uh, convert on the fourth and two. Then a big play to Jono Smith and, and punch it in. And you could immediately feel the momentum shift. Uh, You could almost kind of feel the air go out of the stadium for the second straight week. Mm -hmm. Um, But the Chiefs came right back, um, put up a touchdown. Uh, You know, it was a back and forth game. Tennessee instantly responds, goes up 17-7. They had a chance to kind of to keep things going, but they just couldn't do it. Everybody saw that uh, the Patrick Mahomes touchdown that basically totally changed the momentum of the game right before the half. Uh, that 27-yard run. Uh, big talking point that I guess you really didn't hear too much about is um, the, the Tennessee Titans play on the five-yard line. Rather than trying to tackle him with, what, 10 seconds left, tries to rip the ball out. And the home spins around and scores a touchdown. Uh, totally changed the momentum. They take the lead 21-17 going in the half. Uh, and kind of just took over from there. Tennessee in the second half just never could get – you know. It, it, an offense like that, they got to stay on what they say on schedule. You got to get down to third and mediums, um, third and two, third and three, third and four or worse. They just couldn't do it. Um, they couldn't put drives together in the second half. Uh, big plays came out for Kansas City. They had a 60-yard touchdown by Sammy Watkins. Um, that kind of kind of put the nail in the coffin. Um, you know, a, a solid game uh, statistically for from Holmes. 23, 35, 294, and three touchdowns. Uh, but the big talking point with him: eight carries, 53 yards, and a touchdown. And, and the talking point for the Super Bowl is, is going to be his mobility and what what San Francisco is going to try and do to shut down that offense.
0: Yeah, and Derek uh, nice Henry. On, oh, sorry.
1: Did a nice job on Derek Henry. 19 carries, 69 yards. Uh, had some chances in the first half. Second half, they just totally bottled them up. Um, the defensive line got going. Uh, a few costly holding penalties too in the second half. Kind of stalled out some drives um and they, they just couldn't get him get him unleashed like they had in the previous previous couple games
0: no the, the the you know derrick henry after running for over 200 yards the last i mean he he just um they, they did what they needed to do you know and that was kind of always been the that's been the knock on the chiefs the last two years as well as their can their defense play with their offense you know if they ever put those two things together at the same time they're going to be they're gonna be tough and their defense had a great game you know they were fine all over the place and um you could tell they were fired up, and playing at home helps. But uh, yeah, they, they looked good, and and that'll be one of the big questions going into the Super Bowl is is does their defense have another big game in them like that? Um, so I guess it, when it's all said and done, um, how do you know how do you feel, Ethan? About it? are you happy for Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, or, or are you sad to see the Titans uh, run come to an end?
2: A little bit of both. You know, I've always been kind of an Andy Reid fan. I, I I just he always seems he's just a like, A likable coach, just from what I've watched him over the years. I I have no problem with Patrick Mahomes. He's he's a State Farm guy there with Aaron (laughs) Rodgers. I kind of have to root for him. I would have liked to see the State Farm Super Bowl, but um, no, I think Mahomes and Reed are both very deserving. Um, I'm happy for him. Obviously, I would have loved to see a Green Bay Tennessee Super Bowl because I don't know who would have called that. Um, But at the end of the day, I think this is going to be a different kind of matchup. I think both green bay and tennessee that game would have had its perks that would have been fun to watch but at the same time this is going to be more of an explosive game more of a media game that that you're going to get way more hype and and way more views um <clears throat> so i think th- it's it's good and, and uh, it'll be a great game
0: yeah it should be i, I think this is probably the best i know it's not ideal you in, in your world but um I think it's definitely the best matchup that we could have had, especially after Baltimore went out. Um, You know, I think probably was the at least most people would have given uh, the nod to uh, prior to that. But um, you know, so we won't get a whole lot into previewing the Super Bowl. I will just say that uh, Kansas City opens up as one and a half point favorites, which is you know pretty. That's in years past they've had a little bit wider spreads, but. Andy Reid, you know, whether you like him or not, just cheering for him. Um, he has the seventh most, oh, 207 regular season wins. That's the seventh most uh, by any coach in the NFL and the most by someone that does not have a Super Bowl title. He hasn't been there since 04, Um, when he coached the Eagles. I don't know how well you remember that game. I remember that was the game um, – who is the quarterback?
2: That's what I was just trying to think of. McNabb. McNabb. Yeah, McNabb.
0: Didn't he just lose his marbles in the huddle or whatever in that final <laughs> <Yeah>. drive. <laughs> but I mean, it'll be a good game. I think it's going to be a, a great offense against a great defensive battle. And it'll probably be whose other side steps up. You know, if Kansas City's defense steps up or San Francisco's offense really steps up. Um, they, you know, I was looking at Mahomes' numbers and some of it just blew my mind. Uh, he's 27 and 8 as a starter, and his eight losses are by a combined 36 points. He's never lost a game by more than seven points. Um, so, you know, they got a shot, obviously he's been their leading rusher in both games so far. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, I think if you're talking about maybe trying to take advantage of their, their over-aggressiveness, maybe that is a good thing, but um, you know, Raheem Mostert, he's going to be an X factor, obviously. Um, somebody they'll probably going to key on, but I think the, the what might give him a slight edge is the 49ers have been a little bit more challenged this postseason. I mean, the chiefs have only have faced the Titans and the Texans to get to the super bowl. <laughs> that's not a bad, that's not a bad road to have to go through. Um
2: and they've had to come back both times. Yeah.
0: You know, so I don't know. I, I, I think it, it's definitely a game where you could, you could make arguments for both sides. I know some years it's definitely slanted one way or the other and you really give one team advantage. Um, that's kind of hard to do here. So um, just a, a really quick kind on of what are your initial thoughts as, as we start to look ahead a little bit towards the super bowl, Dave.
1: Yeah, it's strength versus strength. You know, the Chiefs offense and the 49ers defense, you know, like you mentioned, Corey, the, the other side of the ball might actually be uh, where it is decided. Uh, but it sure makes for a heck of a lot of good talk between between now and then. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, a couple of things to note. The Chiefs scored on a, in a lot of run, They run a lot of the jet sweep with Tyreek Hill and Hardman. Uh, one real easy way to keep def- defensive ends and linebackers honest is, is motion and jet sweeps. You know they can use that to try and keep Bosa, uh, e- even that split second delay of having to think about something else other than just running up and crushing the quarterback, uh, or take advantage of him giving up the field too far. Um, I, I think you're going to see Andy Reid use a lot of motion, um, a lot of jet sweeps, that type of stuff, screen passes, especially the middle. Uh, it was open in the middle. You know, time and time again, um, that that cover three zone that San Francisco likes to run. There's holes in the middle, so it'll be interesting to see if they, uh, they scheme something up to take advantage of that.
0: Initial thoughts?
2: I, it's going to be a slugfest, and I, I, I personally would have to right now give the edge to San Francisco. Um, I'm not going to get into a debate about uh, Kyle Shanahan or Andy Reid, which one's the better coach. Um, I just, It's going to come down, but I think that's one of the things it's going to come down to is game planning and how they're going to use their strengths as strengths um, both teams individually. Uh, I, I just think San Francisco's playing too well right now. They're too battle-tested. And Kansas City, they're going to be the same thing that Green Bay done. They Green Bay's won ugly all year, and Kansas City's won ugly all postseason. And San Francisco showed that you can't play ugly and win playoff games this late. Um, now, Kansas City's walked that fine line, but it showed in green Bay that you're not going to be able to get down against San Francisco. And, uh, I think I'm expecting right now, fresh off the loss, I'm expecting Mahomes to break that seven point or less streak of losing. Cause I think it's going to be a little bit more than that with San Francisco win.
0: All right. I'm not going to ask for predictions quite yet. let some things sit and let some things <laughs> play out before I get actual predictions. <laughs> so, um, that's all we got for the NFL stuff. We'll come, uh, real bad. We'll come back real quick and, uh, finish up with our bull predictions for the week. Welcome back to maybe next year. We're going to finish up tonight with our bull predictions as always for the week, um, for a Minnesota sports team or something related to closely related to Minnesota sports. Um, Dave, let's, let's get it from you first.
1: All right. Uh, looked around, tried to figure something out. Um, I'm going to pick on Xavier Rhodes, all the other quarterbacks in the league did, so I'm going to continue. <laughs> um, somehow he made it into the Pro Bowl, and my bold prediction is that he is going to give up a 70-plus yard touchdown uh, <laughs> this weekend.
0: How did he get into the Pro Bowl? Oh, my gosh. No
2: <laughs> what do you got? So uh, I, it, we talk about it rarely, but I've made probably more predictions in this sport than we've probably talked about. The wild. Sitting right now last in the Central Division. Um, They're 22, 21, and 6 with 50 points. They're just ending a seven-game home stretch right now. They have uh, the Red Wings tomorrow, the Bruins Tuesday, and the Blackhawks Thursday. Um, The Bruins first in the Atlantic. The other two...
0: You got to beat the Red Wings.
2: Yeah. (laughs) The other two, uh, not so much. Um, I'm going to boldly predict they sweep all three teams... And they're going to make a push here in the Central Division. Them three wins should put them kind of in the middle of the pack, right there.
0: Wow, That's a wild prediction. That's not bad. I can get behind that. Um, my bold prediction last week, I went with. Uh, I was correct. I got to point that out because that doesn't happen very <laughs> often. But um, I had them beating a ranked Penn State team at home and then losing on the road to Rutgers. That's exactly what they did. Um, this week, they have Ohio State at Ohio State on Thursday, and then they are home against Michigan State. I'm going to say the road, home pattern continues i think they're going to lose at ohio state even though they beat them earlier this year in minnesota and then i had them beating number 11 ranked michigan state on sunday and that would be a big big win for them as they try to make a push um you know they've had a couple ranked wins already and, and that would that would be a big one for them as they kind of head out um all right so that uh, that kind of wraps it up for tonight um thanks a lot for joining us uh, just a couple quick reminders to check us out apple Podcasts anchor spotify whatever's easiest for you and then go get a look at our at our new website um the the address is nextyearpodcast.com nextyearpodcast.com um and be sure to send us a question email us a question um would like maybe a, a topic or something with one of the teams that you'd like us to to bring up or discuss next week and and we'll definitely uh try and get that in the show so dave and ethan thanks again for joining me thank you thank you man And uh, we'll see you guys all next time for episode 10 of maybe next year.